Someone I appreciate very much who was in worship last Sunday came up to me this week and said they listened to the sermon again online. And before asking the reason why this person did so, I thought selfishly to myself it must have been at least an okay sermon for somebody to listen to again, to listen to it twice. And then I asked why. And the person answered, it's very difficult to do to go and tell everybody. And I immediately thought to myself, that's a lot better reason to listen to the message again. This person didn't listen to it because it was uh, enjoyable per se or that sort of thing, but rather because it offered a challenge. And I silently thank God as I agreed, it is difficult to do. And I was very glad this person recognized the challenge and prayed that many more of us recognized it too. Our job is to go and tell everybody. Well, this week is no different. Uh, the first week's focus of our Everybody Tell Somebody series was to go and tell, and last week's focus was to go and tell everybody. Our focus for today, as we recognize the challenge, the doubts, the nerves, the uncomfortableness, the risk, all the other obstacles we must get around to do the work of evangelism, is to go and tell everybody, knowing that sharing often starts with learning and listening. Understanding each other can be the basis for sharing and hearing the gospel, and that I think has certain implications uh, for exactly what we are to say or do in our efforts and in our obedience to the call to do the work of sharing the gospel. I have a scenario for you to consider this morning. Let's say you're standing with a group of friends here at church, and as the service lets out, you notice somebody who's standing off to the side, someone you don't know looking uncomfortable. In fact, you are very sure this person is a brand new guest. And you feel a prompting, you feel something inside uh, by the Holy Spirit, you're guessing, to break away from your group of friends and engage that person. Your, sentence, your senses are heightened as you consider excusing yourself from the group. You don't know whether it's excitement or nerves you feel, probably a little bit of both, and you're about to make your move, but there's an answer to one critical question you'd really like to have at this moment. What's that one question you have? What do I say? What should I say? Sure, you'll say hello and you'll share your name and you'll ask theirs, but beyond exchanging those immediate pleasantries, what does God really want you to say? So at this point, you can do one of two things. You can either bail and stay safe in your circle of friends, or you can take a risk. You can back out, or you can trust in faith. One is much harder to do. Yes, God is with you, but still, you know you have to say something, and that's intimidating to us, isn't it? 
I want to take a few minutes to talk to you about this very thing, hopefully to alleviate some fears. There is an answer to the question of what you're supposed to say. We covered it generally last week, just some review here. You should tell everyone about the gospel. We talked about that, right? You need to tell them what Jesus has done, the grace that is available, and that God loves them and wants to have a personal relationship with them. And there's more to it than that, but that fulfills the Great Commission. But is that the first thing you should say? Is it most effective to immediately launch into God's plan of salvation with everyone you are called to tell? Hopefully you know that plan, and at some point, maybe you'll get the chance to share it. But most people, especially those that are far from God, are not ready to have Jesus or the Bible forced upon them by an over-eager churchgoer. Nor do they desire to hear how sinful they are, and that what they really need is to be forgiven, especially to hear that from a perfect stranger. Nor is it helpful to tell someone straight out of the gate that their lives are a mess and they need to be fixed. Now, I'm not saying it may not be true, but there are better ways to approach the topic, to gain trust, and to invite a person into a place where they are ready to hear the life-changing message God wants you to share. The story from Acts about Paul and the Athenians today gives us a few best practices regarding what we might say. Yet, the main point is this. It's what you do before that moment that will really make a difference when you are actually at the point of telling someone. So here are the tips that I think the scripture lays out this morning. First of all, pay attention. Paul has spent some time in the more northern areas of Macedonia, Philippi, and Thessalonica, where his preaching and evangelism had mixed results. I don't know if you recall that. If you read a little bit before in Acts, you can hear about that. Uh, he was successful in some areas, but in others, he was imprisoned, and he was chased out of another place. So I wonder if when he gets to the point of going to Athens, he isn't thinking about changing his tactics, at least a little bit. He surely knew that Athens was one of the most important cultural centers in the world, where he could have a significant impact on the latest philosophers and their philosophies, on communication, the arts, and so much more. Of course, on spirituality, especially on spirituality. So Paul is paying attention. First, to being at the right place at the right time, and second, to being more strategic in his work. In our work of going and telling, this might help us too. Paying attention to the right times and being in the right place to share God's message comes before actually saying a word. Sometimes we can't know that exactly, but we can look around which is exactly what Paul did. We should take notice of the circumstances and situations people are in and the challenges that they might face. Maybe there's a need 
to be met as well as a word to be shared. You remember Pastor Nancy laid that out the first week too. It's not just with words that we share the gospel, it's with our acts as well. But we won't know that unless we pay attention, which leads to a second best practice. Listen. There's a Peanuts comic strip where Peppermint Patty and her friend are walking to school. And Peppermint Patty says, I think I'm going to ask to be Mary in the Christmas pageant. And her friend replies, the teacher already asked me. And Patty says, I think I'm going to ask today. She asked me yesterday, says the friend. And Peppermint Patty continues, my favorite part is when the angel Gabriel talks to me. And exasperated, her friend exclaims, why would anyone want to talk to you? You don't listen. Paul finds his way to the Areopagus, which is an area which the philosophers gathered to share their insights. And no doubt, Paul spent some time, if you can imagine, just put yourself in Paul's shoes, instead of just waltzing right in there and opening his mouth, he might have taken some time, don't you think, to hear what they were saying, to put himself, to sit himself down and to listen for a little while while he hears what other people are saying. Preparing, gathering information so that when he does stand up to speak, people will hear him. We cannot shortchange the value of listening as a means of being prepared to share the good news. And I think we know, we all know how important listening truly is. The story is told of a man who called the doctor and shared that he thought his wife was having hearing problems and he wanted the doctor to check her out. The doctor suggested first that the husband check her out at home, see how bad it was before coming in. And the man asked, well, how do I do that? Well, just ask her something from the other side of the room and keep getting closer and closer until she responds to what you said. Well, later that evening, the wife is making dinner when the husband decides to try it out. From the other side of the kitchen, the husband asks, is dinner about ready, honey? He doesn't hear anything. So he moves a few steps closer and asks the same thing. Still, he hears nothing. So he gets up close behind her and asks her one more time. And at that moment, the wife turns around looking very concerned and says, yes, dear, for the third time, yes. <laughs> we must be sure we are listening first before we expect to hear, for others to hear what we have to say. This is especially true when it comes to sharing God's message. Here's the point. As it was with the Athenians, the people we are called to tell have a certain way of looking at things. Most already have established beliefs and convictions and ways of looking at life, even how they understand God. If we are to effectively speak the truth of Jesus to them with the hope of them hearing us and responding, we must first understand 
their points of view, regardless of whether they align with the basic tenets of Christian faith. Each of us and those we tell have our own story. We need to respect and not to confront the ways God has already moved in their lives. Even if it sounds a little off to us or different from our experience. What we will find out is if we do a good job of listening is that there is usually at the very least a hint of truth already there in what they share. And it can help us when it comes time for us to do the speaking. And I would remind you of part of last week's message that God doesn't want us and those we tell to stay where we are, but to become just like Jesus. And I will simply add to that this morning that we need to start somewhere. And the best place to start is not by talking. It's by listening. So, pay attention Listen, when we tell that to kids, I was just thinking when I was reviewing this last night, we tell that to kids all the time. Teachers say that all the time, right? Pay attention, listen, right? They're very fundamental things. These are not strange things that I'm showing with you this morning. One more is very important. This additional best practice is to establish a connection. This means to find something that is relevant to the person God has given us the task to tell. For Paul, the relevance and the connection point is the Athenians' interest in things spiritual. He notes and is troubled by the plethora of shrines and monuments and statues to all kinds of gods, even to an unknown God. And because he's listening, because he's paying attention, he finds a way that he can connect. God leads Paul to use this connection to introduce Jesus into their discussions and conversations. Along with capturing the goodwill of his audience, a rhetorical device many uh, speakers use, Paul compliments the Athenians on their spirituality. He says, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. He sees the openness they have to considering that there is someone or something beyond themselves. And Paul knows the answer to who that is, and he uses this point of connection to make his presentation. He built upon a foundation already in place in the society and the people that he was addressing. He was asked to speak at the Parthenon because it was relevant to them. So establish a connection. Now I hope you have noticed that each of these best practices all occur before one word is spoken. Knowing what to say has more to do with how you prepare for that moment as best as possible. In short, we can say this. I think we can easily agree that what is most important in knowing what to say is that we meet people where they are. And in doing so, they will feel appreciated, heard, accepted, and this is a critical point, they will be open to hear 
what God wants you to say eventually. Ultimately, to be invited into a relationship with him. That's what Paul did. Last week, I shared that what God wants most from us and what we need most is a relationship, and he proved it through sending his son. And it makes perfect sense that he would want his children to be in relationship and fellowship too. So go back to the opening scenario of being prompted to talk to a brand new guest here at church. And this is just one of who knows how many scenarios we could be in where God wants us to go and tell. Since you have no idea why they are here, of course you would first welcome them well. But what do you say after that? Well, it depends on three things. First, what have you noticed about that person? Are you paying attention to even the tiniest hints that prompt something within you? Second, have you listened to them? Hopefully you're not thinking about what you should say next, but listening carefully instead. Third, how can you make a connection? It probably won't be that linear. It may not go exactly like that, but God has a way of giving us the words we need to say, or better yet, the words they need to hear in order to take next steps. And it can happen in a matter of seconds. You don't have to play detective for months before you say something. Just have to pay attention and listen and make a connection. The next steps you might take might be inviting them to come back to church next week. You could sit with them and you could show them that you care. You could talk with them again, but better yet, you could listen to them again. And hopefully this will lead to further interactions with you or others, and you will realize that you have just done the very thing God needed you to do in that moment. You will have planted a seed, and you have done that because you simply paid attention, listened, and made a connection. And just maybe you used a few words. You met someone where they are, and God used you. So, let's answer the question. What do you say when the time comes to share the good news? You ready for my answer? I don't know. <laughs> Nobody else does either, but there is one person who does. God knows what you need to say. And the answer to that question is that you will know what to say when you meet people where they are. Not trying to convince them of something they don't know about just yet or convict them of something that's wrong with them or something like that. Simply just to meet them where they are. Again, God doesn't want us to stay there, but this is the place to start. This is what Jesus did for you and me, didn't he? 
It's what we celebrate this morning when we come to the table. At some point in our lives, we realized Jesus was paying close attention to us throughout history, and still is, and at just the right time, he came as God's message to us. He heard the desires and the cries of our own hearts, and he showed through his death and resurrection, not just his words, but his work on the cross, that the connection we most need is a relationship with him. On this World Communion Sunday, let's remember that Jesus met us individually and the entire world where we were, in sin and hopeless, and that through the body and the blood, we have been given life and hope that will never fade. Come as you are. He's ready to meet you again today, right where you are. Amen. Let's sing a song. Just as I am without one twig. So this hymn focuses on us, but I'm also hoping as you sing it, you will realize how powerful that is for somebody else as well as you consider who it is you will go and tell. Let's stand up and turn to 357 and sing together. 